but I am going to bring up a bit of a joke. As you know, my surname is Cook, and I'm as my family, Justin Imogen, and Crystal and Desmond know that I'm Cook by name, but not by function, okay? So <laughs> I'm, I'm dishwashing. Cleaning up afterwards is my, my A game, all right? So Desmond knows I can cook uh, wiener schnitzel and mashed potatoes and stuff, but that's, I need to get a master chef and really get my act together, so I'm afraid I'm a failure to my name. Uh, oh, okay. But I know that somebody else has got that gifting, and so I really commend that ministry to you because it's important you know, to bless our... You know, I'm not actually old enough to go to Young and Heart yet. Oh, actually, I am, but, uh, <laughs> no, but it, it really is a neat ministry, so thank you for what you're doing there. Okay, um, so a couple of things I wanted just to cover too. So, Grant, thank you for your introduction. So, as I mentioned, I actually part-time speak for Creation Ministries, and I, I thought it was probably time, especially some of you might think is Mike new to the, service, uh, to the church, haven't seen him here for a long time, but uh, a couple of years ago, you um, we were prayed out into a role as a speaker for Creation Ministry. So I speak part time for CMI. Uh, it's a thing I'm really passionate about, connecting with the body of Christ and encouraging them to believe that the Bible can be trusted right from Genesis right through to Revelation. And so part of my role is I speak in the Waikato and Bay of Plenty area, and it's a real privilege to get around to a whole range of different churches, different denominations, rural. Um, Ones in the cities, big, small, uh, contemporary, traditional, whatever. But I just see the body of Christ worked out, and it's a really neat blessing just to be involved in that ministry and um, just to share with and encourage the body of Christ. So thank you for your support and your love and prayers. So um, my normal role is electronics engineer, but it's a part-time role which I'm very passionate about. But also CMI really encouraged. I want each of the speakers to be involved and knitted in with your local church. And this is you're my family, and this is our support base. I know you're giving and praying and so on. So if I'm away, I haven't backslidden or gone somewhere else. I may be ministering somewhere else at the time. And um, also want to mention, as, as we know, we are very much a missionary church, missionary-based church here. We're all about the kingdom of God, not just within our little box here. We're looking at, we want to be a church without walls, and we reach out to the community and also to the nation and to the nations. And one of the areas we do, we partner with OMS. So we've got Avalon over here. They're an amazing couple. They head up OMS, and we are, as a church, partnering with them. We've actually got a missions trip coming up to Fiji, which um, many of you will know, but I put my hand up. Maybe we haven't promoted it quite as well as we could have done, but they're off on the 13th of August, five young ladies, and Owen's there as the gentle hand on the shoulder mentoring them along the way, and our beautiful daughter Imogen's heading it up, so it's a neat time to, for them to go and to minister into Homes of Hope, which we've had trips uh, there before, but it's a, a place where young ladies who maybe have been abused or pregnant or whatever can have a, a, a safe shelter and be brought to the Lord and Discipled. So we're going there as a church to represent um, Hamilton Elam into Suva or south of Suva in Fiji. So they're leaving on the 13th of August, but they're still just a little bit short of some dollars. So I just want to put the, I'm doing a plug unashamedly for this trip. So they, we're short for about $2,500. The first service, um, somebody very generously has contributed to that already. And um, so if the Lord's put something on your heart, you want to contribute just so they can go, really enjoy the time and be able to visit the village and not be held back by finance. I really encourage you just to see the info desk and just um, go with what the Lord's speaking to you about. Okay, so let's have a look at this message. So Pastor Ants started two weeks ago, uh, but this, this new series we have called Level Up, and he used the analogy of a video game. And I made the mention in the first service about gaming. I used to play a game called Jelly Monsters on my Commodore VIC-20, and that shows you how old I am as a kid. <laughs> but my son Justin and Crystal and other people here are way, way, there are many levels above me for gaming. So I'm not a gamer, um, 
So I definitely don't want my thing. So I'm going to use a different analogy for going up different levels. But last week, uh, Pastor Alex from South Auckland, he talked about going up in different levels with love being the foundation. So Pastor Ants talked about being there for such a time as this. Each one of us has got a gifting and a calling from God in our time and place in society and in, in history to make a difference. And so to go up a level, sometimes you have to step out in a place that's really uncomfortable. So we heard about Queen Esther who put her life on the line to go to the king and she said, if I die, I die. Because if she dishonored the king, that was it. You know, you were dead. But she did that. And because she was obedient to God, and she, it was prayer and fasting, the Jewish people were saved from extermination in that land. And then Pastor Alex talking about his trip to uh, Africa and so on, risky areas where you've got to step up to a new level. So each one of us, the foundation of what we're doing here as a church is love. If we're not doing it in love, let's all go home now. We're wasting our time, aren't we? If we're here just for a program or for an image or status or whatever... No, it's all about him and about transforming society. So this morning I just want to look at the whole thing as we build on Pastor Ants' broad brush picture of where we're going as a church and the new level that we're all being called to go up personally and as a church and as a church throughout New Zealand. Um, I just want to touch on this whole area. So I'm going to share from a different analogy on how God has touched me in three particular areas. I had a profound uh, you know, realization I wasn't seeing things clearly. So this message is really like, New perspectives, okay? So seeing things from a new perspective. Things were still there, but I saw them in a different way. So I'm going to use the analogy of tramping. So I really enjoy tramping, getting out and climbing mountains. So the kids used to say, Dad, why do we have to go climbing mountains? But now, Justin, he's a, he's a bit of a mountain climber. But anyway, so here we have... I'll turn that on. Have a technical failure, do I? I'll get my thing. Anyway, so um, anyone, anyone here climb Mount Parongia? Okay, so you know that many of you haven't. Yes, I see a couple of hands there. Thank you. So when you start off from the car park at Corcoran Road, you wind your way up. So that's why we pay him the big money, because he fixes these things. People think I'm involved in technology, but no. The lights were on, but no one was home. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's it. Just going here. Yeah. All right, so this is the start of Mount Parongia track. You go up, you go, go through the style and wind your way up. And it's a beautiful place as you go through, you're going through native bush and you go up and down. But all the first part as you climb up, you're going through bush, you can't see where you're going. You're winding your way, you're, you're gaining altitude, but really you're not seeing the bigger picture of where you are. And eventually you come out of a place called Ruapani, which is the first outlook. And it's amazing. As soon as you pop out of the bush line, immediately, suddenly, you can look around, you can sort of see just an amazing landscape round from Ruapani, which is... And that's a neat thing. So suddenly you're seeing things from a different perspective. You can look back to where you've come from. You look out across the, the horizon. And so for me, there's uh, three or four areas in my Christian walk, I guess many times, but God has sp specifically spoken to me or revealed or confronted, uh, confronted with me with things that I need to deal with and also understand in a way that has been a blessing to me and to other people. So I just want to prove that Justin does climb mountains. It's the old... Okay, there, Ruapani, a few, a few months ago, wasn't it, we did that? Okay, so I'm just going to take you back to the beginning, back to the beginning. So this house here looks interesting, doesn't it? So none of you will be able to guess where that is or what it is. That's actually the house that I was born in. So in England, it's in southwest England, Devon, on the edge of Dartmoor. It's a little 600-year-old stone farmhouse. And mum and dad uh, farmed there on a very marginal piece of land back, back in the day. And that's where I was born, along with my siblings. And, but New Zealand was the place that mum and dad moved to as a land of promise. England back then was difficult going. 
as Trevor and so on, you probably know, England back in the 1960s, dating myself again. Anyway, so we came to New Zealand, but I'm very much, I'm very proud to be English. So here I have my British passport. So I am high British nationality. I was born there. I was brought up in my first few years in England. And so I'm proud to be English. Yeah, that's something that's it's part of my culture. And, but my, my England picture, I guess my stereotypical idea was leafy villages, you know, thatched houses, and the whole thing of tea and the click of uh, cricket balls on the, on the village green and cups of tea and, you know, the whole, that peaceful, stereotypical English thing. That was my upbringing and, and my culture, and I guess my relatives were very much into that whole thing of being very frightfully English old chap, you know, the whole thing. And so come to New Zealand as a young fellow, and I lived in Nelson. And of course, uh, yeah, Hayley and Chris know about Nelson. That's a beautiful place, but it's quite conservative, a little bit cut off. So back as a, as a child growing up in Nelson, I was very um, insular, I suppose, in what I saw, very much white, middle-class, uh, conservative Nelson. We had some other nationalities around, but very, very few. We had a few Maori people in, at school, but again, very much a minority. And we had a Chinese greengrocer down the road, so I understood about the Chinese guy down there. But they were almost distant connections. I had no real understanding of their culture, who they were, and, you know, just wasn't I didn't like them or whatever, I just, they weren't really part of my radar. So I move ahead, I move up to the Waikato, and um, Desma, she's born and bred here in the Waikato. So being a guy from Nelson, from England, and then Nelson, coming up here, just even the Maori pronunciations, I was, had to be corrected several times on how I pronounced certain place names around here. <laughs> I wasn't good. And even Imogen, who, uh, our amazing daughter, she, she was brought up at, um, in Fodder Fodder, at Fodder Fodder Primary, and her Tereo pronunciation is Spot on, isn't it? And a few times she said, Dad, you're so white. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, I have to say that. So anyway, so I'm afraid I'm trying to learn, but Tereo is a beautiful language, and it's part of you know, who we are. It's the second one of the um, official languages of Aotearoa. So anyway, so imagine me here turning up. But one of the things that God did, I realized through my teen years, especially looking at my Englishness, which I, I really loved and still do, I looked at um, things about England, that, especially the cities you had, Pakistani and um, West, uh, Indians and so on, immigrants coming into England and had been for a while, and suddenly that's, you know, it's just not quite right. It's not the England. Why do we have got these foreigners in, in our country? You know, the whole thing. So for me, it was a little bit confronting. It didn't seem to fit with what I understood. But in 1991, here in Elam Church, we did a course called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. Actually, Desmond was heavily pregnant with Justin through that course, and he was actually born during that course, and he came along in this little porticot thing at the end, last few weeks of it, so... But that was a thing that really stepped up for me. So this is an amazing course. that look, You look at the big picture of the gospel, big picture of culture, um, that whole thing about how God, as our creator, sees all of us you know, as a richly diverse bunch of people. And so um, that really transformed me. One of the things that we came up with this was the whole picture that God's laid in our hearts. As human beings, we're created in God's image, and each of us have a knowledge that we are this life is not just the only thing we have. There's a sense of eternity in each of our hearts. And it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. He's set eternity in our hearts. We all know that there's something more than just this material universe, isn't there? Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And that was the, the whole foundation of this thing that every people group, every ethnic group, every culture around the world have some knowledge of the original, of the creator God, and you know, our history, our shared history together as people. In many cultures, uh, you know, it's been lost over uh, time, oral hand-downs and myths and stuff have come in, but the truth can be found in every culture. And there was a very influential book uh, written in the 1980s called Eternity in Their Hearts by Don Richardson. 
many of you may know that. It talks about how going back to cultures, identifying the true God uh, in their culture and taking away the, the, the myths and so on and exposing God for who he is, that can be a transformational thing in the, for the gospel for that culture. And um, one of the things we have within New Zealand, this is a very powerful book, talking about your origins. You know, one, yeah, so the whole thing, the whole thing of the cultural thing we're looking at is to take people back to the truth of the gospel, taking away all the cultural bits and pieces and celebrating what is there. And in South America, Desmond and I were there last year, and they have a knowledge of a, a god called Vidakoka, who's, uh, if I pronounce it right, and, you know, the Incas and so on worship the sun and the moon and so on, but they have a knowledge of a, a supreme god who even made the sun and the moon, but they, we've forgotten about him. So there's that whole thing, and uh, Shang-Ti in China, I think is, if I've got it right, so there's knowledge of the one true creator god who's above everything in every culture somewhere. But what is culture? So the whole thing of culture, so I want to talk basically about culture and race and how God spoke into my life about this. So culture, what is culture? Here's a dictionary definition. It's a little bit lengthy, but effectively it wraps up everything that is about us, our worldview. It talks about the customary beliefs, our social forms, how we do things, what we believe, how we speak, how we dress, our, our, our food and so on. All those things that make us up in a, as a racial, religious or social group. And it's the characteristic features of how we live every day. It's our common bond, isn't it? So each of us has a culture. It's who we are. And it's been formed by our background, our traditions, our ancestry, but also things that have come into our culture over the years. It keeps changing. Okay, so culture is a very real thing. And one of the things that the Perspectives course came up and brought up very clearly was that culture is a God-given thing. But also very, very clear that all cultures, and I'm talking about every culture across the face of the earth, have aspects of their history and their giftings, their uniqueness, that are very, very positive. And they are a blessing to that people group and also to people who are interacting with them. And we should identify those areas that are a blessing, those things we can celebrate that are right and are godly, line up with Scripture, and we should celebrate and endorse those. We don't need to throw those out. But every culture, and I'm going to emphasize why every culture, has things that are not so good, things that are anti-God and are, can be a curse when they're outworked. And we need to have them confronted in our lives and deal with them individually and as a culture. And so when I came to New Zealand, of course, I said I've got my British passport here. So I'm a, I'm a British national. And also, mum and dad got us citizenship when I was a teenager. And so I have a New Zealand passport. So I'm proud to be a Kiwi. You know, I love this culture. It's a beautiful land. I'm very much culturally identify both, both these things are me. I'm, I'm English and I'm a New Zealander. But if I look at the, this thing about looking at my two cultures that I identify most strongly with, what about the positive things of being English? And so here, Trevor, and Melanie, and so on, other people here who are born in England can relate to this. So England is an amazing country with a rich heritage and rich history. And like even the house I was born in, 600 years old, that's nothing over there. You've got history going back for a long, long time. And some of the history wasn't that good, but it's an amazing, rich culture. And especially in the Enlightenment and in the 1800s, amazing developments in science and innovation, industry, and so on, came out of the British, uh, British nation, transformed the world. You know, there was industry and all that sort of thing going on. There was a huge move of missionary expeditions going out around the world, transforming Africa and um, you know, the South Pacific and so on into Asia. People who loved the Lord and would often sacrifice their lives to go to the mission field came out of that enlightenment during the 1800s. Uh, William Wilberforce, a, a person who loved the Lord, he came against slavery and he actually turned it around so England renounced slavery and then helped to um, have the 
slavery renounced in the US because of that godly basis. So great things have come out of the English culture. And of course, part of that was the empire, and that meant colonization. And that brought some great benefits, but also, and I put my hand up here as an Englishman, some of the things we did as colonialists wasn't good. There was some things I know happened all around the world where the English went in, um, we're not proud of. You know, and that's one of those things that, uh, so we've got that culture where uh, there can be blessing and so on. What about superstition? England's had a very much a pagan background with the Druids and all that sort of thing. And even now in England, the superstition is very close to the surface. Many people will talk about, oh, I better not say that. I might jinx it. You heard that? Or so and so and so, oh, touch wood, you know, the whole thing. Or, you know, the whole thing of black cats and the ladders and the throw the salt over your shoulder. That superstition has actually worked out often. And in New Zealand here, we have a, a strong English connection. A lot of people are superstitious even without remembering it or without realizing it. So that's something we need to come against. But for me, the thing that really happened, um, the other thing too with um, England is amazing amount of science and great things happened. The Bible was promoted, but also Charles Darwin, you know, the whole enlightenment, people like Hutton and so on, this thing against God. And so you know, specific things came out to try to derail the gospel. And of course, Darwin and his teachings have been hugely influential across the world, haven't they, to undermine the gospel. And here in England, you have Charles Darwin. He's buried in Westminster Abbey next to Sir Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton was a Bible-believing scientist. He loved the Lord, a very, very bright guy. And Charles Darwin was a, a great scientist, but he had an anti-God agenda, and he's buried in the Westminster Cathedral together. And you see in England now, Darwin is worshipped. He really is. He's on the banknotes, and people honor Darwin Day and that sort of thing. And uh, it's very, very strong over there. But also for me, the thing that really, the Lord really spoke to me was about arrogance. You know, English, you know, we, Darwin talked about, you know, evolution working up, and the white Englishman was the pinnacle of evolution. You know, we are the, we're the best. We're the most civilized, most cultured. The Germans thought the same themselves. You know, but, uh, Western Europeans were the most evolved. They were the most cultured, civilized people around. And for me, the arrogance, I guess, I never really realized this was in me, but the whole thing of Englishness, you know, if the natives don't speak English, old chap, you make them talk louder, you know, that sort of thing, the whole idea of, you know, that other people were less evolved, they were a little bit slow or something if they couldn't understand us, and so there was that arrogance that came out, and the Lord really confronted with me with that, you know, I realized that I was probably a bit arrogant, I, I didn't dislike other people, but I thought perhaps I was slightly better, so I really repented from that, and the Perspectives course taught me to really realize that even my culture had some things that weren't right. I needed to deal with that and repent of it, and God really um, moved me ahead on that. What about New Zealand? Here are our Kiwis. One of the amazing attributes about New Zealand is we're a pioneering country. Many, many people here came, weren't convicts, but they were, sorry, any Australians here? Um, they weren't convicts, but came in as pioneering people who made the, the trip over, and they broke in a new life here, didn't they? The whole thing of being innovative, the number eight wire um, innovation, New Zealanders around the world are respected for their ability to adapt and they're flexible. They're great missionaries because we have that pioneering, can-do-it type of um, background. But what about the other things that are negative in our culture? You know, apathy. Well, she'll be right, you know. You know it's just almost that, I don't care, let it go, oh, just let it ride, whatever. The independent spirit, I can do this, I don't need anyone else. You know, we're very independent, very independent. And also the tall poppy syndrome. As soon as somebody tr tries to pop up, you know, they cut down, aren't they? There's that sort of bashing of people who are trying to succeed and move ahead in life. So we have, again, in our own culture here as Kiwis, we have amazing positive attributes, and we also have things that are negative, and God needs to deal with those. 
So that was the first thing. So this thing about culture, I'm going to come back to that shortly, but moving on again, and the next thing I had, um, as you know, I speak with CMI, as I mentioned, but one of my amazing colleagues, Dr. Carl Whelan, he wrote this very, very powerful book. It's called One Human Family, and it's about the Bible, science, race, and culture. It's a very, very comprehensive book that covers the whole thing from origins, you know, biology, it looks at culture, it addresses all the hot topics like slavery, racism, apartheid, um, you know, reverse discrimination, all these sort of things from a godly, uh, biblical perspective. So suddenly we realized that we're actually all one human family biologically, and as I said, tracing all our ancestry back to Adam and Eve and back through Noah and so on. So we are closely, closely related. So the whole thing of one human family is what about race. One of the things is, if you look in uh, Acts chapter 17, the whole thing about the gospel, when we go out cross-culturally, so when you have Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, he spoke to the godly Jews who were there from all different nations, and he just preached you know, the gospel straight, you know, this Jesus that you crucified, and so on. So they were ready. They understood God. They understood sin and the fact they were separated. And so they were ripe for conversion. So they said, what do we need to do to be saved? And 3,000 came to the Lord on that day as Peter preached to the Jews who were already had a knowledge of God. But then we get Paul, who was in uh, Greece, in Athens, and he was speaking to the Greeks, who, of course, were very thinking-type people. And they said, this, is, this guy's an idiot. He's just babbling. What's he waffling on about, you know, the resurrection of the dead and this Jesus and so on? So he actually went out into their culture, and he walked around, and he looked at, because they had a lot of temples. They worshipped all sorts of different gods. And uh, he finally came across something that he, he could connect with, and that was an altar that had an inscription on it to the unknown God. So he actually went back to the people and he said, he stood up again and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. So he looked at their culture and he noted something and he said, yeah, you're really religious. You have a spirituality. And as I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I found this altar with the inscription to the unknown God on it. So he came back and said, okay, you don't know who this God is, the unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you're worshiping. You're worshiping this God, but you don't know who he is. But let me tell you about this God. So he goes back to Genesis and he talks about who the sovereign God is. He said, he's the God who made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. That was pretty confrontational for them because, of course, they were building temples all around the place to this God and that God and everything else. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So we're talking about a God far above you know, Zeus and all the other characters, you know, the this is an amazing sovereign God. This is a key thing I want to talk about is the, he said here, from one man, Adam, he made all the nations. Okay? So we have one ancestor, Adam, Adam and Eve. He made all the nations. They should inhabit the whole earth. That was God's plan. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. That's neat, isn't it? So God is the big picture God. He's created the earth and he created it to be inhabited by people. And he was commanded Adam and Eve to multiply and spread out. And he did that so that the people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him because he's not far away from each one of us. So that's the key thing. So what about race? We talked about culture. What about race? I look around here and I see an amazing sea of beautiful faces, you know, just all different shapes and sizes and ages and different skin colors, okay? What about this whole thing about race? So I just wanted to briefly just touch on the idea. First of all, the Bible is very, very specific. It talks about history. Genesis is history. And so we look at this whole thing. There's three key areas that the Bible makes claims about that modern genetics should be able to totally disprove. If the Bible's wrong, 
this is one of these things, you can look at genetics, you can look at DNA and so on. We should be able to falsify the Bible because of these three very, very specific claims. One is that all human beings originally came from two ancestors, an ancestor couple with the same genetics, Adam and Eve. Eve was made from Adam's ribs, so they had identical DNA, apart from obviously the male-female differences. And so we have a founding population of two people. That's really, really specific and really, really open to being looked at. Then, of course, we come through to the flood. It talks about in Genesis 6 to 9. Everyone in the world died apart from eight people on the ark. So here we have what we call a population bottleneck to eight people. And again, so you've got Noah and his wife, but you've got the three sons and the three uh, daughters-in-law. Okay, So from those three sons and their families, all the genetic diversity of the world should be able to tra be traced back to three couples. And then, of course, we get to Babel, the Tower of Babel. It talks about in Genesis uh, 9 where it talks about the whole thing of God saying you need to spread out. So he separated their languages and they would have moved out from Babel unable to understand each other but on family lines. So people who are like a, a group together would have moved out with that common language but they take the genetics they, they have with them. And as they spread around the world you end up with what we call reproductive isolation. So they start to you know, adapt to the areas they're in based on their genetics. And what do we see when we look around the world? We see a huge amount of diversity but still very, very closely related. So if I look at race I'm a Pākehā, I'm a white guy, a whitey, you know, a honky, you know, whatever you want to call it. In England, I'll be called a honky. Yeah? In the islands, a palangi, isn't it? You know, whatever it is. So, you know. But am I actually white? You know, this is a, a white sort of flower. Am I actually white? If we look at, so I look around here, I can see different people who are, you know, do I have black people? Do I have you know, yellow people, red people, white people? Are we? No. There's no, there's no difference. It's not a skin color. This, this is, these are very dividing sort of terms, aren't they? We all have the same skin color. It's a, a, it's a substance called melanin, which is in our body, and it's expressed in your skin and in your hair and in your, in your irises of your eyes. We all have that. Now, some people have more, and some people have less, allowing for the winter lack of sun. You know, I'm probably whiter than normal, but it's amazing, isn't it? But also the hair color, those of you who've got hair, and also our eye colors. <laughs> Actually, Justin's really... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, old chap. <clears throat> the, the cook genes are strong. Yeah. <laughs> but you see what I mean? So this whole thing about race, because the evolutionary thing would say that over thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, everyone's been separated, and some races have evolved more than others. This is a game with Darwin saying that the white Englishman was the most evolved, and people who were different, you know, the Aborigines and people in Africa, etc., well, they were you know, less, less evolved than the, uh, the cultural people, because you can look at people's way they look and think that they're less evolved. But there's more variety between, say, people in Malaysia across that than there is between, like, somebody from the Kalahari Desert or from a, a Swedish person. Genetically, across the average, we're very, very closely related biologically, and no one can deny that. So we're looking at the whole thing. So if you have a lot of melanin in your skin, you'll have very dark skin. You'll be then better adapted to live in Africa where there's a lot of uh, UV and, and so on. So you have, you're less likely to get skin cancer. You're less likely to have damage to your B2 vitamins and so on because you have good skin color. You know, it absorbs the skin, uh, the UV. If you are uh, light-skinned and so on, Northern Europe, Scandinavia, you're better adapted then to have vitamin D. You're not going to be starved of sunlight to your skin, that poor sunlight, so etc. So there's different ways where those things are amplified by the uh, place you live. And so after a while, these things become fixed. So we end up with very strongly dark, very, very strongly light, or tall or short people. But the average across the world is most people are average height, have medium 
coloured brown skin, had uh, brown eyes and brown hair, middle of the road stuff. See, so the outliers, the very, very dark or very, very light or very, very tall or very, very short, are the you know, chihuahuas and the Great Danes of the human thing. <laughs> but again, even with dogs, like everyone, we're all ones, you know, we're all very, very closely related. So you look really different if you're a dog. People aren't that, that, um, that different. We're all very much one human family, okay? And even blue eyes, people say, well, isn't blue eyes a different pigment that's evolved, you know, in, in uh, the more evolved Westerners? No. People with blue eyes have just very little melanin in their eyes, therefore they get this optical effect in their eyes that give them that blue look. It's like the colour of the sky, it's blue, it's just a refraction, it's not actually blue colour up in the sky. So people who have blue eyes have very, very little melanin, and people who are blonde have very, very little melanin. So am I saying that blue eye, blonde people have less information? Yeah. <laughs> Probably, yes. That's right. <laughs> You've lost something along the way, that's true. All right, anyway, enough of the race, but be encouraged, you know, we are all really, really closely related. So the other, the last thing when the Lord took me up a level, so I realized about culture, that all cultures have good and things that are not so good, and we need to repent of that which is not good and celebrate that which is good. And it requires a spiritual transformation to really deal with that. And then also our, our race, our biological race, is very much we can celebrate. We're just um, you know, different based on our, our backgrounds and our genetics, but we're all very, very closely related. And the Bible is true that we all, through all, um, one man, all nations came to be. The last thing was this whole thing about the gospel. So we're here because of the gospel. Jesus has transformed us. And then later on, I'm going to give an, um, an opportunity for those of you who maybe don't know Jesus yet as your Lord and Savior to come to him. You know, he's your creator and your redeemer and your savior. So each one of us is separated from our creator because of Adam and Eve's sin. We're all descendants of that original rebellious couple. That's why we're rebellious. But the thing that really Lord opened up to me perhaps two or three years ago was this whole idea of the gospel in 3D. So people who weren't in the nine o'clock service who've already heard this, has anyone heard the idea of the 3D gospel? Okay, so let me explain this. So here I am, I'm a Westerner. I'm brought up in a Western environment. I'm very individualistic. Our Western culture is very much about me. It's about my dreams, my aspirations, my whole worldview is all around me. And so everything I do is focused on where I'm at. Now, I'm just going to give you a quick analogy, which is very, very interesting on culture. Um, apparently, an experiment was done in, in Africa with, uh, obviously, some native uh, children down there in one of the tribes in South Africa, and also some German immigrant children. And they taught them this, a particular dance that you had to do. You know, you do go left and right, and you do certain things that are oriented in direction, and that's how the dance was done. So the kids did all this. They learned, and the Germans were being very obedient, and they learned how to do the dance, to go left and right and turn right and so on. And then when they did it, they said, okay, now turn around 180 degrees and do the same dance again. Interesting, all the Western kids, the German kids, did the same thing based on themselves. So they would go right like this, and then they would go right like that. Whereas the native children, the local children, would go like that, and when they went around this way, they'd go that way. Because their worldview was about, I'm related, I'm that tree, it's east, west, north, and south. So their orientation was not themselves, it was the surroundings. So they immediately mirror image on, I'm now, you know, so... Interesting, isn't it? So culturally, the worldview. So you imagine IQ tests when you've actually got to sort things. You know, you can see how often culture can actually affect on how you're you're seen to be intelligent or not. It may be a cultural viewpoint. Anyway, so I'm a Westerner, and the world revolves around me, about my needs and what I want to do, as as we're taught. So the gospel for me is that I am a sinner. I am guilty before a holy God. I'm. I need to repent of my sins. I need to ask for forgiveness. 
and I need to come to a place where he makes me innocent. He's taken the price for me as an individual to be right with God. Is that the gospel? You agree? Is that scriptural? I'm not teaching heresy. Because I remember when I gave my heart to the Lord as an 11-year-old, I did that. I said, Lord, I, I repent of my sins. I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. You know, and I, please, please forgive me, and I want to come to be your child. Okay? So that, that is absolutely true, isn't it? So Ephesians is beautiful. This 3D gospel comes out of Ephesians. So if I look at that idea of guilt to innocence, it's very, very clear in Scripture that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So forgiveness is really, really important, isn't it? We are guilty, and we need to be forgiven of those sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So salvation is about grace. It's all about his gift, and we can't earn salvation. And in Ephesians 2, 5, it says, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, or in other words, separated from God. It is by grace you've been saved. So going from a guilty position into a right relationship with God through what Jesus did is absolutely the gospel. It's, it's true, but it's not complete. So imagine that I'm not a Western individualistic European type person. Imagine I'm coming from, say, Asia or the Middle East where they have a different view that instead of the individual, they're very much down to the whole thing of culture, the community, you know, your local village or your tribe or your family lines is really, really important, more important than the, indiv uh, the individual. So if we go into that, for them, it's a lot more important about the whole thing about shame. You often hear about these things where you've shamed the culture, you, know, you you get banished or you've, there's honor killings, isn't it? Because you've shamed the family, therefore you're going to pay the price. So for them, community is very, very important. Very important. So for them, the worst thing that could happen to you is you come into a position where you've shamed the family and you've been excluded. So for them, the gospel is a lot more uh, powerful when they realize that, yes, we're, I've been separated from God. I'm outside. I've, I've shamed him because of my bad living and so on. I'm outside his family. I'm outside his community, his whanau. And so for them, it's coming back to a place of honor. It's being adopted back in is so, so important. And again, go back to Ephesians, and we see the second dimension of the gospel, which is also very, very scriptural. So for them, it's actually being adopted back in, coming from a place of shame to a place of honor. And God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing, himself to, uh, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It's neat, isn't it? So it talks again here about the idea of Gentiles, we're excluded, we're outside Israel and God's promises. And each one of us, away from God, we are in a place where we are excluded from, from uh, being citizens of God's family. And it talks about the whole thing, you lived in this world without God and without hope. And how many people do we know who are outside God's family? They live without God and without hope. There's people out in the street, isn't there? You may not have to be uh, from this culture that you are outside God's family and you are without hope. And so God's saying to us, each one of us, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners, you are all citizens, members of God's family. Isn't it? That's neat, isn't it? So coming from a place of exclusion, isolation, rejection, we're coming into a place of being adopted, loved, and honored. What about maybe if we're from a tribal or animistic background? This is a different area. This is the third dimension of the gospel. And so here we have... People there are often bound up with fear, the whole fear of the spirits, you know, areas that are out of bounds or uh, tapu or whatever. You know, there's different things where the spiritual oppression with the Aboriginal people, you know, if you point a bone at somebody, they're going to die. That, so that, that fear of the spirit is very, very powerful. And so for them, they need to be set free of that and brought into a place of power and authority where they have spiritual uh, power over the demons and the evil spirits. And so that's what the gospel is about as well. So move from fear to power and authority. 
Here it talks about, I pray the eyes of your heart might be enlightened to know the hope. See that word hope again? So God opens our heart to realize there is hope. We don't have to be bound up in fear and the glorious riches of his inheritance. So when we come into his family, we inherit the riches of his power, incomparably great power for us who believe. That's what his word says. We have that power available to us. As we give our heart to him, Holy Spirit comes into us. We have power. We have authority. We can stand against the work of the enemy. And, uh, of course, he raised up Christ from the dead through that power. And his name is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. In the name of Jesus, isn't it? Invoked high above everything. And, of course, in Ephesians 6, it's a very well-known scripture talking about the whole armor of God. We don't fight about flesh and blood. We're not fighting people, you know, our brothers and sisters. We're actually fighting the demonic powers and uh, strongholds that hold people into captivity. So it's a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. So realize that we need the spiritual armor. We need to put on the whole armor of God so we can stand in power and authority. And he's given us all the tools we need. We just have to put it on, don't we? Put on that suit of armor, grab the sword, and step it out because we have that promise that he'll be with us. And we do have power. We don't need to fear anymore. But coming back to this whole thing again about culture, so one of the beautiful things again, even our church is reflecting this beautiful thing of culture and race. You know, we just see such the, a beautiful mix of people here. And so be encouraged, each one of us. It says here in Galatians 3, 26 to 29, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. So our, our identity is not in, I'm English, or I'm Kiwi, or I'm Maori, or I'm uh, Dutch, or I'm South African, or whatever. We're, our identity, our true identity is in Christ He's the one that unites us together. He's our creator and our savior. All of us were baptized into Christ, have clothed ourselves with Christ. So that, in some ways, we're all the same. We're all children of God, aren't we? And he says, clearly, in the kingdom of God, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. And as I said this morning, you know, there's not Chinese, Indonesian, Filipino, Dutch, English, South African, uh, Maori, Cook Island. Yeah. Oh, I've, sorry if I've forgotten anyone. Dutch, and so on. You know, just suddenly see every one of us we're all the same, aren't we? Male and female, we're all the same. He created us, male and female, in his image. We're equal. You know, there's no ex distinction between male and female. We're all one in Christ. Also, slave and free, whether you have a lot of money or whether you're down at the serve food bank. Money doesn't define us. Our gender doesn't define us. Our ethnic background doesn't define us. We're one in Christ, aren't we? It's a beautiful thing. So the 3D gospel, for me, it was one of those things suddenly, like coming up to Ruapani, I went, wow. I'd never seen Ephesians that way. I always thought you pray the sinner's prayer and you become right with God, you become innocent before a holy God, we're good. But the other area, some people, when you share the gospel with people, have a, ask the Lord to show you where they're coming from because sometimes the guilt-innocence thing, it doesn't make so much sense to them as maybe the uh, shame to honor or the fear to power thing, depending on your background. So you need the Lord to ask you, to, to use you to speak into their lives, touching them where they need to hear the gospel. So all three facets are totally scriptural and uh, correct, but it's not complete. Okay, so see the gospel in a 3D form. It's not, the gospel is not just white, Western, individualistic gospel. Okay, so, so be encouraged in that area too. So I um, just want to finish up with a couple of things. So fairly soon we're going to give you an opportunity. If you haven't come to the Lord, um, you know, become adopted into the family of God, if you haven't been set from free from guilt or from fear, we'd love to do that. As church, we hear about extending the kingdom of God. We hear about bringing those who are outside in, but setting them free and making them feel innocent before God. So we'd love to do that, to pray with you. And we've also got a 
one card somewhere. So shortly I'm just going to pray. Then if you're coming back to God or the first time you've actually realized this is something you need to deal with, and also accept that free gift of salvation through what God has done. You know, he's created us. We've rebelled. Adam and Eve rebelled. We've all inherited that sin nature, which just means falling short of the glory of God. So all of us are sinners. Every one of us is a sinner. There's not different grades of sin. We're either separate from God or we're not. So all of us need salvation. We cannot save ourselves. But how we come to the Lord and what he needs to do in our life is quite different. So for me, I needed to come to the Lord as a child, uh, as I did, but he also worked in different areas of my life. So as we go through um, maturing as Christians, we need to drop those things off. Sometimes when God reveals something, we need to repent of it and move ahead. But the key thing is that each one of us, we're called to redeem our own culture, aren't we? To redeem this New Zealand culture so needs redemption. We just see so much brokenness, don't we? From family breakdown, violence, poverty, all these things. But pouring millions of dollars into those areas is, you know, it's good. I'm not dissing that at all. But we need to have a spiritual transformation. People need to be changed in their hearts. And from that, then society will change. Otherwise, you're just papering up the cracks. Okay, so true transformation requires a spiritual transaction, each one of us. And we're, here, we're called here as salt and light in our communities and our cultures to do that. So be encouraged. Each one of you are different. God's made you special. You're unique in who you are. And only you can reach the people that you can reach. Only the people I can reach, the ones I can reach. That's why we're, t- we're team up with a family. Better together. It's a great hashtag, that one, isn't it? We should use it. <laughs> and real love serves. Our vision is real love serves. We need to be real. As Pastor Alex said, we need to love and we need to serve. So um, after we just pray together. So if you do make a step forward, want to recommit your life, whatever, fill this card out, give it to the information desk. And Grant will talk about one or two other areas where we can disciple you and encourage you. But we'd love to also give you the Word of God in a very readable format. To This is the reference book of life. So you come to the Lord, that's only the first step. We then need to move ahead, understand His Word, and also apply it as well. So we'd love to give that Bible to you as well to encourage you. And if any of you have got any questions on what I've talked about, come and see me afterwards, and uh, I'd love to fill you in in more detail. But let's pray together. I'm going to pray a simple sinner's prayer. Not, not a sinner's prayer and such, just a way of coming back to the Lord. So let's just think, again, each one of you, you're all from different backgrounds. Hopefully those 3D sections of the gospel will touch you in a different way. And maybe you came to the Lord in the past thinking one particular thing and the Lord's exposed to you a different way to see your own salvation and go, well, thank you, Lord, that you have taken me from whatever fits you best culturally. Okay, so let's just pray together. And then I want to finish up with a, a really neat scripture here um, about the whole thing of, being one amazing family worshipping God. So let's just pray together, and I'll finish up. Okay, so because we're family together, let's just pray together, and if you're coming for the first time, the Lord will do a transaction in your heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for creating me, and thank you for saving me. I commit my life to you. Change me transform me, and use me. In Jesus' name, amen. The last um, scripture I just want to share is from Revelation. So we go to the end of the book. So I talked about the beginning of the book with um, Genesis here, how God created Adam and Eve, and then, of course, right through the whole history of Genesis. So we move to the, the fulfillment of history in Revelation, you know, at the, in the new heavens and the new earth, and we, here we have this beautiful picture. So our culture, you know, our different backgrounds, our understandings, our language is celebrated. It's not done away with. We're not all suddenly identical clones. No, our 
God celebrates and enjoys our culture. So here, Revelations 7 and 9, it's a beautiful picture of us as the richness of humanity before the King of Kings. After this I looked, and before me there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, people, and language. It's neat, isn't it? No one excluded from that. Everyone is welcome to come before the Lord. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The Lamb, of course, being Jesus, our Creator and our Savior. So I'm just going to finish up with a, an oldie but a goodie. It's a newsboy song called uh, He Reigns. Any of you will know that. But for me, it's a beautiful song because it celebrates the whole richness. You listen to the lyrics, you know, from the Amazon jungle to the cathedrals and um, underground church and so on, all singing out, hallelujah, glory to God. And that's what we're doing. We're celebrating about him, isn't it? But be encouraged. Each of you are really special. You're created in God's image. You're not animals. You're not evolved animals. You are unique, uniquely loved by your creator. And he wants to love you and accept you and also use you in the days ahead.